Generally, on Wednesdays, I have to do a lot of driving, so I listen to a number of podcasts, and there is one called The Truth. The Truth. They produce what they call Movies for the Ears. This past week, they did a production called Miracle on the L Train. I recommend this particular episode, even though it gets a, a little crazy at the end. But here is the setup, at least. Right? As you know, a number of years ago, New York was hit by Hurricane Sandy. Apparently, the tunnel for the L train that goes under the Hudson River was damaged and has yet to be fully repaired. Now, in the story, a woman is riding the L train to Manhattan, and God begins to speak to her. And he tells her that the tunnel is going to collapse unless she does something Everyone on the train is going to die. Of course, she panics. She says, God, you're God. Why don't you do something? And he responds, I am doing something. He says, well, why don't you tell somebody? He goes, I did. I just told you. She says, well, why don't you tell more people? And she goes, God says, who's to say I didn't tell more people? You're the one who's listening. So it comes down to this. She is convinced that God is speaking to her. She is convinced that the tunnel will indeed collapse. And she's becoming aware that she's the only person who can save these people. Now, you're going to have to listen to the podcast to find out what happens. But imagine, just for a moment, that you are the person on the L train. God has given this message to you. And you are similarly convinced that you only have five minutes to ask because there's only one stop between you and the tunnel and you have to get these people off the train. What would you do? Can you imagine packed subway car in New York? Excuse me, everybody. I know, I know this is going to sound strange, but I beg you to listen to me. I, of all people, know this is going to sound crazy. And it does sound crazy, but you have to believe I'm as sane as you are. So it's like this. God just spoke to me, and he told me that the, the tunnel that was damaged during Hurricane Sandy is going to collapse in five minutes. Now, I need you to believe me. We all need to get off the train at the next stop. That line of explanation only works if people already believe that you indeed hear God and what God tells you comes true. Everyone else thinks you either need help or arrested. So similarly, let's say you and Peter and James and John and Jesus go to the top of a mountain and there you witness the wonder of the transfiguration. When you come down and you go to one of our local coffee shops and you meet up with some of your non-Christian friends and you tell them, guys, you're not going to believe what just happened today. We went up on this mountain and Jesus was transformed into this brilliant light and Moses and Elijah were there speaking to him and then God came, the Father, and the Father said, this is my beloved Son, listen to him. How might your friends react? Perhaps after clarifying that Ohio has not legalized recreational drug use, they might offer all kinds of explanations. You know, the son might have just caught him the right way, and, or maybe mass hysteria, or hypnotism, or ventriloquism, hyperbole. 
Maybe his Samsung Galaxy just blew up. Did you get any of this on your cell? Did other people see it? Can he do it again? You know, you've got an awful lot invested in this for this to be true. Do you have any other proof? The Transfiguration is not a great story for unbelievers. It's a great story for us who already believe, and it gives us further evidence of exactly who Jesus is, who's, who, what is his identity, which is why St. John Paul made it one of the luminous mysteries. It illuminates for us who believe exactly who Jesus is. But it's not a great story for convincing writers on a subway of anything. In general, the only thing today's culture readily validates is somebody's personal experience. Well, a story in which we can say, this is true for me. History, facts, the teachings of the greatest minds of civilization, logic, 2,000 years of belief, practicality, miracles, natural law, anything that takes longer than a minute to explain can all be thrown out the window with one of the following lines. Well, I feel, well, I think, or, well, that might be true for you. So if you come across someone who is hurting or expressing doubt or even hostility about faith in God, is challenging you on your beliefs, or is actively looking for something but is resistant to faith, it probably is not going to do you a lot of good to talk about the transfiguration or transubstantiation or apostolic secession or the oldest interpretation of scriptures. All that is for us in this room. We believe in Jesus and we want to know him better. So we start looking at all this other evidence and clarification. It's like already being in love. Now that you are in love, then I want to know about your family, about your favorite color. What are you thinking about today? So what do you share in a less than an ideal atmosphere in which we find ourselves in this culture? What our culture is open to right now is your personal experience in two minutes or less. So it's important for all Christians to think about your faith story, your faith story. Happens to me all the time. Here's a story that I've shared with you already. People say, why do you want to become a priest? What made you want to become a priest? There's a lot of reasons I wanted to become a priest, but one of them that stands out the most was I used to be in the theater. Told you the story already. And one day I was working on a show backstage as a stage manager, and the show was not a nice show. It was demeaning to women from the parts that they had to play to the costumes that they had to wear to the set design. And one of the things I believed about in theater is that every time someone came to the theater, they were transformed. They either had to reevaluate what they believe and change or hold on to it more tenaciously, but they were affected. And if I was going to work in the theater from time to time, I was going to have to do shows like this that I believe poisoned my community. And I felt awful. And then I turned to this tugging that I've always had to be a priest in the Catholic Church. And there is a message that I can believe in and I can put it out day in and day out. And it was fulfilling. And I feel that it's a good message for my entire nation, not just my particular community. And I feel in that way uh, that I'm doing a lot of good in the world. 
short story. Or when I was talking to some of my friends who were saying, you know, I, I just, I am so busy. I don't have time to get prayer in. I said, well, well listen to this story. You know, as a seminarian, uh, as a priest and as a deacon, we promise, we give a vow that we are going to pray the liturgy of the hours every day for the rest of our lives. We stop five times a day. It's recommended for everybody, but we promise to do it. Stop five times a day and pray for the church. And when you're in the seminary, you don't have to pray it, but they recommend it so that you get into the habit. So when you're ordained, it's, you just do it. He said, you know, and me and my five classmates, it would be late at night. We're cramming for finals. You know, it's, it, it's, going on to midnight. We're like, you know what? We don't have to pray tonight. Let's just skip it so we can get the studying done. God won't mind, and then we'll take our test tomorrow. And sometimes we would do that, and sometimes we would say, no, no, no. Let's stop and pray. We got to do this, you know. And we would stop and take five minutes for prayer and go back. You know, after the third time of doing that, we realized every time we stopped and prayed, we got done studying more quickly, we remembered things better, and we got to bed earlier. So from then on, we never skipped prayer. This is part of the new evangelization. I had an opportunity to, to ask a couple of people, if, if I was going to ask you for your two-minute talk, what would it be? Bill was going to join the Franciscans. He was working in a paint shop. And he was pressured by his business to sell people to sell, just to sell, no matter what, even if it was to people who, did, who didn't really need what he was selling or to sell something more expensive when something less exp expensive would do. So he sold things to people that they didn't really want or didn't really need or didn't do exactly what he promised that it would do. There were high uh, markups on certain items. And he said, you know what, I was good, but it ripped at my conscience. I didn't feel good about myself. Sometimes I couldn't sleep. I had this terrible ache. He says, one day there was an old woman who came in and wanted to buy some paint and I lifted her up to a, a higher price paint that she didn't really need and sold her everything to go with it. And he said, that was the day I decided I couldn't do this anymore. Then I decided, decided to follow Christ more closely, and now I'm going to work among the poor. I feel better about life. I feel better about my life. That terrible ache is gone because now it's filled with God, and I feel worthy. How do you argue with the way somebody feels? He's just telling his experience. Patrick told me how when he was young, he wanted three things, money, women, and power, in no particular order. And after he graduated from college, he went to work, and he's working, and they don't get their pay for an entire month because the company only pays once a month. And at the end of the month, he was handed this piece of paper, and he says essentially it was worthless because they had direct deposit. So it was just a piece of paper with some numbers on it. And he had been looking forward to this day having this money, finally more money than he had made in his entire life, his first paycheck. And he said, it was kind of empty. It was just this piece of paper. He says, it was a great, great letdown. He was surprised how little it meant. A little bit later on in his life, he met up with a girl that he'd always wanted to go out with, and he, and he got her, and, they were, and he was about to have that first kiss, and he had that kiss, and he said, 
was kind of empty. We weren't in love. We were just going to kiss. And he said, it was, it was disappointing. And if these things didn't bring meaning or joy to his life, what would? He said, then he turned to God. And God put meaning in his life, in everything that he did. And with that meaning came that elusive joy for which he was searching. That is his story. And fortunately, in our culture, we still believe that a man has a right to tell his own story in his own way. In past ages, it may have been an argument about the efficacy of the sacraments that would convince somebody to embrace the faith. Today, it is your witness as to what the faith does to you, for you. This Lent, take some time to explore your own faith narrative, your own stories. What honest two-minute witness or witnesses has God provided for you? Hone it and own it. You never know when you're going to be with a friend at a pizza shop, a cousin at a family reunion, or a stranger on a subway, and you have the need to evangelize in a way that somebody will hear.